0: mindfulness mode
1: 481 probably the biggest problem that we're facing at least here in the u.s and probably much in the western world and that is of isolation loneliness and anxiety
0: mindfulness mode 481 hey welcome to mindfulness mode this is bruce langford host and creator of the podcast and mindfulness life coach so glad that you're here today We're going to be talking about a very serious subject, the subject of loneliness, among other things. But before we get to that, I always ask my guests, what's a book related to mindfulness that you would recommend to our listeners? And so I've put together the 12 must read mindfulness books the 12 most recommended mindfulness books on the show and I put it together into well a little ebook so you can read a little bit about each book and you can download the book this is yours free go to mindfulnessmode.com forward slash top 12 books so today My guest, like I said, he's a person who's going to be talking about loneliness, but he's a branding expert and he's a fascinating man. Sit back, relax and enjoy today's really interesting interview with Peter Montoya. Hey, Mindful Tribe, this is going to be a very interesting interview today. I've got a real expert with me when it comes to speaking and helping people and and doing so much because he's done a ton of stuff in the world. He's written. He's been a writer. Well, I have Peter Montoya with me. Hey, Peter, are you in mindfulness mode today? (laughs) Always
1: in mindfulness
0: mode. (laughs) That's great. Peter Montoya, for over two decades, was the financial industry's go to guru on marketing and branding. So he's all about branding, all about something that we need more of, which really rings of authenticity. Now he's the CEO of Thrive Union, which is an organization whose mission it is to fulfill a need in modern society to help people to go from meaningless isolation purposeful belonging. And we have a lot of that isolation going on in the world these days. That's for sure. Peter had a lot of struggles earlier in his life, struggling through school with undiagnosed ADHD. And eventually he graduated from the University of California, Irvine in political science. Anyway, we're going to talk with Peter about so many things, including mindfulness. What does mindfulness mean to you, Peter?
1: Mindfulness to me is the state of being where you're much more conscious and aware of everything that is going on both outside and inside. We are so obsessed oftentimes with what's happening around us. And mindfulness is the idea that our inner lives are incredibly rich. There is so much going on inside of us. I remember once I had a speaker say, do you talk to yourself? And we all said, yeah, I talk to myself. But I think that kind of understates it. I would say that I have a chorus of voices inside of my head going at any one moment. And the whole idea with being mindful is to try to slow things down so you're becoming increasingly more aware of all the voices, feelings, and tides
0: that are rolling inside you. Well, we are incredibly complex beings, and a lot of times those voices are what seem to stop us in our tracks. And you obviously came to a point in time when you decided to do something about the voices. It sounds like you had a lot of challenges when you were, when you were a kid. Tell us about a day in your life when you were 10 years old, Peter.
1: Yeah, my home life growing up was really, really rough. I was the oldest of five boys, John, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, By the time I was 16, my parents had separated. My mom most likely had some kind of undiagnosed mental illness. And so she had her own challenges. It may have been something anxiety, depression related. Uh, My mom, she was uh, always enraged. And so I didn't ever have any kind of sanctuary. So as a hyperactive kid, I was always wanting attention at school, and I was constantly Mm -hmm. provoking people, trying to make them laugh or get any kind of reaction out of them. And then when I came home, my mom was uh, enraged most of the time. So I I didn't have a place where I ever could really uh, relax and know that I was approved of. loved. My childhood was fairly rough. But what it did teach me was a lot of resilience. So I became very, very tough uh, through my upbringing.
0: And so... Tell me about moving on into university, because it sounds like you had a really challenging start and it would have been easier to believe that you really struggled and didn't have the opportunity to go to university. But you did. How did that happen? That's a
1: great question. I think I was blessed with a lot of drive. I went to a very high performing high school where 90 some odd percent of them went on university. So it's just kind of what was expected of me for a huge cultural tide of of everyone going to college so I did the same Uh, and I really um, always struggle I didn't understand why I'd be you know get so angry at myself I'd be sitting there in class and I'd be something like daydreaming you know my mind would be going somewhere else I couldn't understand why I couldn't focus on what was happening I thought I was reasonably smart but I just couldn't focus on the lecture that was happening but I ended up paying most of my way through college. So somehow I really had the drive to not only, you know, get my studies done. I just barely eat through with, you know, C's and B's, but also to pay for it. So I thought I was important enough. I'm so glad I did.
0: And so how did you pay for college? I worked as
1: a painting contractor during college. So I put all my classes on either Tuesdays and Thursdays or Monday, Wednesdays and Fridays. And the other days I would work painting houses here in Southern California.
0: Oh, Wow. Wow. That sounds fascinating. Well, when I went to university, I had two or three jobs all the time I was going to school. I was a musician in different places. On Saturday nights, I played at a bar and on Sunday mornings, I played in churches and I just did whatever I could. So that's, that's that awesome. sounds very familiar. Very familiar. <laughs> when did you become interested in branding?
1: So, you know, I graduated with that degree in political science, and with a degree in political science, you can only have a couple of choices. You can go to law school, but I really just didn't have a scholastic discipline for law school. You can go into food services, go to become a waiter or a bartender. like that. Or you can go into sales. It was really my only choice with sales. When I went into sales, I went to work for the biggest motivational speaker in the world back in the time. Who was that? It was Tony Robbins. Okay. Yeah. I I usually don't like to admit that because people kind of assume that's kind of my motivational style and he's not my style. I respect what he's done, but he's not my particular cup of tea. When I worked for him, I was more or less in sales. I wasn't the best salesperson in the world. I wasn't the worst salesperson. I was really diligent, hardworking. I was always fairly average at it. I don't really have the gift of gab. And when you want to get better at sales, you have to get better at marketing. If, you're not, if you can't get better at sales and you want your sales to improve, you get better at marketing. Right. And marketing and branding is the process of getting people to pre-buy before you even show up. You want them saying yes before you even walk in the door. And I got really good at that. So I read every book I could possibly find on marketing and branding as a way to compensate for my very, very average sales.
0: And then you wrote the book on branding. Isn't that true? I did. So uh, after a couple of jobs working for motivational speakers and
1: working for other advertising agencies at the ripe age of 28, with all of my knowledge, I decided to start my first business. I really had no idea what I was getting myself into. I started to become the um, marketing and branding guru in the area of financial services. So uh, I started speaking and training on personal branding. And then I wrote several books around personal branding. Uh, the one that's best known is The Brand Called You. And it's all about how an individual, uh, whether they be a financial advisor, a dentist, a chiropractor, or a realtor, brands themselves to attract uh, more quality clients.
0: I want to go back to your time with Tony Robbins. What did you learn from Tony about mindfulness?
1: Tony is always an action guy. So he didn't spend a whole lot of time on mindfulness. He brought in a couple of other speakers every once in a while, spent a little time on that. But being aware of your inner life was not a part and parcel to Tony's message back in the day. Yeah, so, he's all
0: about taking uh, I, action, I, I, isn't
1: he? Yeah, he is. And th- that's where I was too. I mean, he really does speak to a younger and more uh, oftentimes a more male energy People who really just want to make things happen and achieve.
0: Right, right. And who are some of the other speakers you worked with?
1: Brian Tracy, Dennis Waitley, Mandino.
0: Well, Brian is, is quite different. Brian is more thoughtful in his approach, isn't he?
1: He is. Uh, Brian is really, really smart. I mean, he basically, back in the day, had a system and a plan for everything. No matter yeah. what, he's a system for doing sales and for psychology and for raising kids. And he's very methodical in laying out kind of a system like that. Uh, I think he's, he's Canadian too, isn't he?
0: Yeah, he is. Yeah, he is he originally is. Canadian. Uh, I
1: became a, a friend of Brian's. And uh, Brian on stage is not terribly entertaining. He kind of drives some people. Uh, but in person, he is funny. He is a really funny, funny, funny guy. And he's, yeah. he's so driven, he works so incredibly hard.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He's a great guy. I did a book with him, a compilation book. Then I met him when he came to our city and man, like he knows what he wants and he doesn't waver from that. And I remember that he was speaking in this particular room and it wasn't set up properly. And he went to the people in charge and no uncertain terms, he told them the way it was going to be. And that was all there was to it. And, and that's the way it needs to be. Yeah, you need to be definite and need to be sure about what your requirements are. And so I admired the way he approached it. He was he was polite. He was pleasant about it. There was no questioning. It wasn't, you know, maybe it was going to be changed. And that's all there was
1: to it. He was incredibly direct and very, very forceful. Here's one of my favorite Brian Tracy stories. So I was uh, after a speech. You know, He did a speech one day and the next morning he needed a ride to the airport. We were in Charlotte, North Carolina. I went not picked him up at his hotel, put him in my car and started driving to the airport. On the way driving to the airport, Brian was, you know, I'd just been spent two months living in Charlotte and Brian was certain that I was going the wrong direction. So he sat over to the seat and was first started you know, Peter, I think you're going the wrong direction. I said, uh, Brian, I'm, I'm good. Peter, I think you're possibly going in the wrong direction. Uh, Brian, I'm, I'm sure this is the right place to go. And then he got over there, got increasingly angry until he got a little bit passive aggressive. He goes, We are now going 180 degrees, 100 miles an hour in the wrong direction. Brian Tracy is going to miss his flight because we are moving in the wrong direction. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. And how did you feel at that point? (laughs) I was so intimidated. I was 25 years old. I was incredibly intimidated. But within a minute or two, it became obvious that it was the right way to the airport. And then what did he say? he didn't apologize. He didn't, didn't backtrack. He didn't, he didn't admit anything at all. He just got out of the car and said, say thank you and goodbye.
0: <laughs> <laughs> wow. What a memorable story. That I know. Was. <laughs> I never got
1: to tell that story in life. So thank you for asking enough that I got to tell okay. that story.
0: <laughs> Very cool. Very cool. So you've been helping people with their branding and their marketing and really doing amazing things through your company and your company is called Thrive Union. When did you form that company?
1: About 2 years ago. It is yeah, it is a company and more importantly, it's also a real world community. And most people go, what is a real world community? Well, it's a community where we are actually meet in the real world. I mean, so many communities these days are online community, and people think that's actually satisfying the psychological need that we have uh, for belonging, and it usually doesn't. So Thrive Union is meant to solve uh, what I think is probably the biggest problem that we're facing, at least here in the U.S. and probably much in the Western world, and that is of uh, isolation, loneliness, and anxiety. Most people have heard some of the statistics that are coming out, about our incredible levels of loneliness. Uh, Loneliness, as you probably heard, is as bad as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. You can be lonely in a marriage, you can be lonely in a crowded room, you can be lonely inside of a company, and we are growing increasingly more disconnected as human beings. And just because we have these wonderful Western worlds where we have basically services on demand, whether you want a car or a meal or a massage, you can go onto your phone and basically order it on demand. Uh, Because we've built this world where we have services on demand, we think we don't need relationships anymore. But all of the research says, whether you're looking at the Harvard Longevity Study or Blue Zones, is the most critical factor for living a longer, happier, healthier life is quality of relationships. Uh, It is absolutely critical to our well-being.
0: So how do you help us get more relationships in our life?
1: We're out here in Orange County and each kind of community has its own kind of system. And here in Orange County, it is incredibly, even though it's three and a half million people here in Orange County, it is really easy to be alone, incredibly easy to be alone. We've built these lives where we have our you know own little house, which is kind of isolated the way they're built with these. We have, you know, you know front-facing windows and doors, but everything's kind of walled off in a way. It's not terribly inviting. We don't have front porches where you're out there meeting your neighbors. Um, we have these cars, which are really isolation chambers, where we're sitting in traffic, getting incredibly anxious and angry. We're showing up at work, and then we're sitting in a cube, and usually on conference calls like this, and doing email rather than actually in connection. So for most of us to be in community, it requires a date, a time, a transportation, a destination of some sort. So we, as a community, have meetings on a regular basis. The first question you ask whenever I'm talking about Thrive Union: well, can I log in from my computer? That's just, <laughs> just contrary to the point. The whole point is to be there in person. Yeah, you've got to brave traffic, but it's worth it if you want to reduce your anxiety uh, and increase your sense of belonging. So every Sunday, we have a meeting called Thrive Sunday, which is an hour-and-a-half meeting where we have calm, we meditate, uh, we have connection exercises, And we do some personal development. We we want to grow ourselves. Uh, That happens every Sunday. We do uh, documentary discussion nights. We do uh, movie nights. We do potlucks. We do parties. And it's just a chance for us to be human beings the way we're meant to be, connecting and supporting one another.
0: Right. And so how do you monetize this system then? Great
1: question. Uh, there's two sides to our business. And one side is uh, Thrive Union Life, Thrive Union, which is the community side, which is a nonprofit. So all of us members pay $50 a month just to be part of the community. And that pays for things like our meeting room costs and food and stuff like that, administrative costs. There's no money in that for me. It's just there because I really don't think we should be commoditized and make, making money um, on people being a community. I think it should be done for low cost as possible, so it's so incredibly important to what we need what we need as human beings. The other side is the life school, where we actually do real-world courses and more or less teaching people how to live better lives. So a life school is a little different from what you may have heard of before. Bruce, do you remember that class that you took in high school where it taught you emotional intelligence? taught you how to do relationships, set goals, and live the life of your dreams?
0: I'm trying to uh, remember that one. It's just not coming <laughs> into my mind.
1: Did you have Dr. Hard Knocks like I did? I think so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Most of us didn't ever have any kind of education around having a better life. So we learned it by trial and error, which is really, really painful. And oftentimes when we're going through life, we have a a painful experience, whether it be a breakup or some kind of a fight with a friend. We oftentimes learn these maladaptive ways of coping with it rather than healthy ways of resolving conflict, overcoming grief and improving relationships or getting what we want. And oftentimes those maladaptive behaviors keep us stuck where we are so we can't
0: grow forward. So what you offer is available in Orange County, but have you spread this to other areas?
1: Not yet. We really want to. That's part of our mission is to have a a thousand chapters out there of Thrive Union. So where people are in their local communities and have a place that practices radical belonging, we accept Everyone, regardless of ethnicity, religious orientation, political orientation, gender, you name it, whatever it is, we are radically accepting. We think it's really important in our very, very divided society. We practice flourishing. We really believe that every person should flourish without hurting or hindering anybody else. We practice that. We practice community and belonging where we really spend a lot of time getting to know people. We think that is radically needed here in our our Western world. So we want to make sure as we're growing Orange County, we're looking for ways to spread.
0: So with the people that are drawn to your group, do you find that there's a fair number of people who are experiencing depression and anxiety?
1: Oh, yeah. It is amazing the number of people who come into our rooms on a Sunday morning, and I can always spot them. They have what I call isolation sickness. Uh, Isolation sickness is a high anxiety and high stress in social situations and they usually kind of sit in the back of the room and hope that they're not seen. They really have a hard time engaging other people and they're petrified of being judged. Uh, Not only are they petrified of being judged, but they're also heavily judging other people. So the more isolated you are, the greater your anxiety and the more severe your judgment. And usually they're caught in a vicious cycle of, of isolation. And whenever they go out, they feel they have negative thoughts that are running through their head. And it's usually somehow reinforced in some kind of contorted way. And so it's a really hard cycle to break. We are really trying to get people to break bad habits that are killing them.
0: So are there certain kinds of mindfulness concepts that you are teaching to people?
1: Every single week, we do meditation and practice of mindfulness. We are trying to get people, obviously, to decrease operating from their amygdala and fight, flight, freeze or fawn, mental that response in the back of their brain and moving up to the frontal cortex with the executive reasoning and so they can actually slow down, understand what is actually happening to them in an emotional level and then reason their way out of it or hopefully experience their way out of it. But it does take some time. I know because I was suffering from isolation sickness uh, before I got into it.
0: Tell me, wh- tell me about that. Why are yeah. you suffering? What was that? What was that all about?
1: You know, I think the last time that I was in a group where I felt belonging was most likely either in college or my first job when I was traveling around the country, the group of other six six men and women. So that was better part of 25 years ago. Uh, after that, I became an entrepreneur and I was hyper individualistic. You know, I really believe if it was to be, it was up to me. And so, you know, I was I had several businesses, but I was always in command and control. And whenever you're in leadership, you're a little bit isolated from troops. And so I got myself in this pocket of kind of being alone a lot of times. I was in meetings, but I was never really doing what human beings are meant to do, which is empathizing. Uh, empathy is to sit down with another human being and to care more about their feelings just for a moment than your own, and is to project yourself into their shoes. And that is absolutely critical. And so while I was being an entrepreneur, running around the country, I did 3,000 speeches over you know, the better part of 25 years. I was always in go-go mode, rarely in reflection mode. I didn't really have a chance to connect with people in a meaningful way. I had lots and lots of friends, but they were all in disparate places across the country. And when, in order to be you know the benefits of belonging, you've got to have a group of people, you know five, 10, 15, 20 people that you go to and they all know each other. You know them, they know you, you have shared experiences, you have shared values. And more or less, you have the benefit of being able to laugh about each other with each other. I mean I think the moment when I realized that I had kind of finally broken my um, isolation sickness was about a year into it. I was sitting around with people in my community and my wife was telling a story about me which it was kind of embarrassing, playfully embarrassing. Yeah. And uh, everyone started laughing. And I started laughing. And I started laughing so hard because it, I was in this environment where they knew me well enough. They knew my idiosyncrasies, and they still loved me. Uh, yeah. And I laughed so hard that I cried. And I was crying not because I was embarrassed or I was ashamed, but for the first time in maybe 25 years, I gave a belly laugh, a joyful laugh, and I knew I was accepted.
0: That sounds like you guys have so much fun when you get together. Now, I'm interested with all of these challenges that people are facing before they come to your group. How long does it take before there's that trust before it feels like you're really making true connections with the people?
1: That's a great question. So we say five before you decide, come to five of our meetings on Sundays before you decide whether you wanna become a member or not. That's what we say to try to get them over the hump. And the truth is in order for us to really build these kind of intimate bonds, intimate connections, we need some really powerful experiences together. So we have this amazing three-day class called five Fundamentals, and it covers the eight practices of living a fulfilling life. But more importantly, what that class does not only teaches a common a vernacular as to what the practices are for living a fulfilling life and obviously mindfulness and calm are one of those eight practices but more importantly it gets them in the experiences with other human beings where they are dropping all of their judgment they're ju- they're releasing kind of the visual judgments they have on other people and they connect at a human level because what's interesting about our groups is our groups when you walk in the room no one looks like like, like a judge but not all, you know, it's not 50 white people. It's we have Hispanic and Middle Eastern and Asian, uh, African-American, with this potpourri of people and ranging in ages from 30 into 80. So when someone walks in the room, what they're always looking for is, do these people look like me? And it's kind of their first judgment. And they don't. <laughs> and so you have to go along a little ways to actually realize I, mean, I never forgot I did this exercise with a woman who's over 80 years old, and I kind of sat down next to her, kind of with an energy, like she was a grandmother-like figure, and I was kind of in my mind diminishing her a little bit. And we did this connection exercise, and I learned so many fascinating things about her. We connected so incredibly well. I was like, I can't wait to see her next week. So we need those kinds of intimate, judgment-dropping experiences to really connect at a deep level. So that's at least five weeks or preferably one of our three-day courses to really kind of rocket people on to being connected members of the
0: community. So it's multicultural and about an equal breakdown of men and women as well?
1: Slightly more women, like 55% women.
0: Okay, I see. Well, you said there are eight practices and you mentioned mindfulness and calm. Can you tell us what some of the other practices are?
1: Sure. So uh, calm is one of them. It's not only the practice of meditation, it also is breaking the habit of Getting angry or getting outraged. I think when I was younger, I used to revel in being angry. If I was in a car, I would, wouldn't mind getting angry into the car. Or if I was on a, a phone call it wasn't going well, I would slam down the phone. I'd be angry at my computer. And I've chosen out of that. It's really, really, really bad for us. What is said is the neurons that get, get fired get wired. So the more you're angry, you're basically hardwiring that into your brain. And it's just plain so uh, you want to choose to live a life of lower anxiety and lower stress. Even if you're stressful at situations, you don't want to revel in it. You want to choose a calm. Uh, purpose is critically important. Each one of us needs to know what we're living our life for. And most people are just living to live kind of day by day. And that's really incredibly heartbreaking. Everyone has to have a reason for their life to live at each moment. And that can evolve and change over time. Another one is wholeheartedness, and wholeheartedness is self love. And people who are isolated and lonely usually have very, very low self esteem, very low self acceptance. And also tied into that is authenticity. When they love themselves, they can usually show
0: up authentically um, with other people. Is Thrive Union tied into any religion? Mm-mm.
1: So, no religion, no political, you no. Know. Basically, we derived from School of Positive Psychology and longevity, which basically gave us these eight practices for living a fulfilling life. Glad you ask?
0: Yeah. And so are there any sort of gurus that you base this on? I know that Zig Ziglar was all about positivity. Are there any characters like that that you kind of focus on?
1: Yeah. So I think the places we got it, there's a great book called The Blue Zones by Dan. I'm forgetting Dan's last name right now. There's the Harvard Longevity Study which is a a wonderful website with lots of good resources. Renee Brown was part and parcel and really important to us as well, especially around the areas of shame reduction, authenticity, and wholeheartedness. Uh, She was really instrumental. We also like the school of behavioral economics. So for people who want to make changes in their life, behavioral economics is a great way of looking at how we behave.
0: So what are some of the other activities you do with your people?
1: So we mentioned some of them. We have our, our group meetings and then we have, um, you know, we do doc, documentary discussion. We watch a documentary movie and we discuss them. We have movie nights. Uh, we have parties around all the major holidays. So uh, Thanksgiving is coming up for us here in the U.S. And we'll have Friendsgiving. So people who don't have a family and want to have we for Thanksgiving, we'll do Friendsgiving. We'll do that. Usually one around Christmas and the holidays. And then we also do lots of volunteer work as well. And that's the stuff that's really cool
0: us. Oh, that's great. This, this sounds like a fantastic, fantastic opportunity for people who are searching and they're lonely and they're experiencing anxiety and stress. So, yeah, I think this is wonderful. And you're going to build 999 more of these.
1: That's what I'm going to do. That's my mission. Yeah, my purpose.
0: And when do you start with the next one? It's a
1: good question. I mean, what we're doing right now is we've built an amazing YouTube channel called It's Thrive Union you on YouTube. And on there is our life school. So we actually have uh, 55 five-minute videos, and each one of them provides a different lesson on how to live. So we're using our YouTube channel to build a subscriber base. And that way, we can actually, when we're going to our next city, uh, we can market to them, tell them we're coming, have them come to an event, and then we can use that to build our next communities. So we're using that YouTube channel as a way of gathering potential members for different cities around the world.
0: And where do you think your next community will be?
1: I would imagine we'll probably just extend a little bit north or south into San Diego or West Los Angeles, unless you're ready to open one up in in London, Ontario.
0: Well, I was wondering, I thought you must be looking for a lot of leaders in order to do this. Uh, Yeah, that's absolutely true. Well, we certainly
1: are. Yeah. And it's interesting that the types of people who we need, we need people who not only have their hearts in the right direction, but also know how organizational skills as well, know how to run a meetup meeting, know how to organize people, send out emails and get people in the right place.
0: Yeah. Very, very interesting. Well, Peter, as we move forward in the interview, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. And the first one is this, who is one person who has inspired mindfulness in your life?
1: That's a great question. Uh, Sam Harris talks a lot about mindfulness and meditation. He's the person I I like the most in that area.
0: How has mindfulness affected your emotions?
1: Uh, It's made me a lot calmer and a lot more relaxed.
0: And tell us how breathing might be a part of your mindfulness. Breathing, I think to me, uh, when
1: I used to be a runner, if you wanted to run faster, you would move your arms. Uh, To me, if you want to get calm, it starts with your breath. It is the leading force to help you relax.
0: I certainly agree. If you could recommend a book related to mindfulness, what would that be?
1: Oh, gosh, good question. Uh, There's a Sam Harris book that I really love, and I'm forgetting the title of it, but it is on mindfulness.
0: Okay. Yeah, I'll check that out. And uh, can you share an app? which can help with
1: mindfulness. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all Sam Harris today. Yeah, my, Sam Harris has got a mindfulness app uh, as well. <laughs> oh, does he? Oh, okay. He does. Yeah. Yeah,
0: great. I want to ask you, now this isn't one of my quick answer questions, but I want to ask you if you were ever bullied or maybe you were a bully. Yeah. And is there a story you can share with us where uh, mindfulness would have made a difference?
1: Yeah, I think so too. So uh, I did bully one time and it's one of my sincerest regrets in my life. Uh, I oftentimes make the distinction between shame and guilt. Bruce, do you a know difference between shame and guilt? Yes.
0: What is it? Well, I think with with shame you internalize it and you take uh-huh. it on as a personal right thing. So
1: guilt, are, is, am I right? Yes, you are. So guilt is when you regret an action or a behavior that you did and shame is where you regret who you are. Right. But you internalize it, you say I am bad, I am wrong, right. I am unlovable, I am I'm unwanted. Perfect. Right. So um When I was in 7th or 8th grade, I was being abused by my mother and I went to school and I was looking to displace the rage I felt over the power over somebody else. And I uh, bullied a little kid named Robert Sandberg. I I can't believe that I did it in hindsight, but I was bullying him as a way to make myself feel better. Uh, There's not too many days that go by that I don't think about how I did that and how much I regret doing that behavior. Uh, And had I had a mindfulness practice back at the time, I probably would be able to deal with the stress uh, of being a a young teenage kid at the time, rather than lashing out and taking it out on somebody else.
0: And have you ever met him since that time?
1: No, I haven't. I searched for him on on Facebook and some other places. I didn't find him. And I'm not even sure if I did find him, if I would have reached out to him. because I, really, I was trying to figure out if the apology was more for me or more for him. I couldn't quite mm-hmm. figure out if he would even want to hear from me um, on that subject matter.
0: Right, right. Peter, I know you can be found at thriveunion.org. Is there any place else we can connect with you?
1: That and our YouTube, which is youtube.com slash thriveunion, or just search for Thrive Union. There you'll find over 55 of our amazing
0: life school videos. They're so fun. That's great. Peter, you're doing incredible things for the world. And it's been awesome talking to you for this time. Thanks so much for being on the show. Bruce, you're
1: an amazing interview. You ask great questions. Uh, you're, so, you're such a very, very generous host. Thank you so much for having me on.
0: Oh, my absolute pleasure. Yeah. Do you have any last pieces of advice for our audience before we end the call?
1: Yes. Go find a community. So if you're not located in Orange County, California, wherever you are, make community a priority. I know that you're, you know, everyone is rushed with all the things you should do. You know, you should lose weight. You should eat better. You should do this. and You should exercise. Uh, community is at the very top of your list. List If you want to live less anxiety, uh, more joy, more connection, community, I think is probably one of the two magic bullets, three, one of the three uh, magic bullets along with purpose and calm to living a far more fulfilling life. Here in the United States, we're chasing the dollar, thinking the dollar is going to make us happier. It's not going to make you happier. All the research is out beyond a basic standard of living. More money does not make you happier. Community will make you markedly happier.
0: Wow. Thanks for the advice. And thanks for being on the show. You have a great rest of your day, Peter. Thank you, Bruce. Bye now. And remember what I mentioned at the top of the show about the 12 must-read mindfulness books. Any one of these books can definitely change your life just like they have for the featured guests I've had on my show. All of these books have been recommended. They're the 12 most recommended books on Mindfulness Mode. Download this free gift at mindfulnessmode.com top 12 books.